moment of introduction here. I have beside me John Roney. John is a new... Greetings. Happy Sabbath. I'd like to extend greetings from the Upper Columbia Conference office and our administration. Uh, greetings from us here in, up in Spokane. And I'm honored and happy to be able to share with you today and worship with you uh, first at the first service and now together right now. It's a special Sabbath, as we've mentioned. Many of our schools have started. Rogers and Wava and Milton State Line have started this last Wednesday. Some more to begin this next week. But it's a special time as the new year gets started. Lots of opportunities to share God's love with our kids. And that is special indeed. I'd also like to thank Pastor Jeff for your warm introduction and welcome. Um, and as we talk today, it'll become evident what happened in my career and in my schools that I was at was a team effort. It was always about us coming together and the power of we. So let's pray as we begin. Please bow your heads. Dear Jesus, I just want to come to you in prayer right now. I just want you to bless those teachers, the ones that were just up here on stage, those that are across our conference that go into the classroom every day and share you to their students. Bless them. Bless our schools. Bless our time together this morning. And I ask that your spirit be here, that your words would come from my mouth, that I would be a vessel for your message today. I ask this in your name. Amen. So you know, if you have been around education for a while, you saw teachers up here. I know there's probably former teachers out there in the congregation today. But if you've been around academies, you've been around schools, especially at the start of a school year, if you've been a principal, administrator especially, but even teachers, you get asked a question almost every year at the beginning of the year. Any ideas what that might be? Enrollment, right? How is your enrollment? That's always a question that comes up at the beginning of the school year. And when your enrollment is up, speaking as a former principal, that's a great conversation to have. It's great. It's up. God is blessing. Of course, there are those years when enrollment is not up. And of course, that conversation is not as fun to have in that moment, but I believe God is still blessing. We even do it to ourselves. When you get a group of educators together, principals together, we do it to ourselves. The first question we ask is, how's your enrollment? But I've often thought there's a better question. There's a more pressing question that we should be asking ourselves when we get together, when we talk about our schools, and that is, how's your mission? How are you reaching the young people in your school for Jesus? That is the more important question, and that's what Seventh-day Adventist education is all about. In her book, Education, Ellen White states that the work of education and redemption are one. She writes, in the highest sense, the work of education and the work of redemption are one. For in education as in redemption, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It was the good pleasure of the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. That 
is the essence of Seventh-day Adventist Christian education. A few years ago, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, I started my career at Real Indo Academy, which happened to be my alma mater, the academy I graduated from. And I went to college in a school south of here. It's a, you can forgive me. It was close. It was home. Went to PUC. But I went back to Rio Lindo to teach. And being at a boarding school, do we have any teachers that have been at boarding schools out there? I know you're out there. Yes. It is 24-7, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes. But it was one of those rare weekends where we had a weekend off. And so we took our family, and we drove to my in-laws, who at the time were living just out of Sacramento in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And it was a great place to unwind out in nature, 40 acres to explore, go on walks and such. But I was inside on an afternoon, and I was looking for something to read. So I was going through the bookshelves, and I saw uh, this book that came up. Adventist Education at the Crossroads. And I just saw the spine of it, and so I pulled it from the shelf, expecting to find a book that was uh, very contemporary, very close to the time that, that, that I pulled that book out. And to my, my surprise, it wasn't that contemporary, at least for me. It was written when I was the ripe old age of one year old. So it had been written some time ago. But as we talk about Seventh-day Adventist education we talk about the direction of education. There's been books written about it, more recently a book, How to Kill Adventist Education and How to Give It a Fighting Chance. There's been sermons given, there's been talks given about the solution possibly to getting back to the good old days of Seventh-day Adventist education. Today I want to share with you not some magic solution or magic recipe but something that I believe that the Bible is telling us about Adventist education and the direction that we can take to face the challenges that come our way in Adventist education. I want to talk for a moment about rope. Rope has become very important in our household over the last couple of years. And you may be perplexed, but let me explain. My son, who is a junior at Walla Walla Valley Academy this year, has been bitten by the climbing bug. What started in a physical education class grew into classes at the local climbing gym, grew into buying gear and buying more gear. And oh yeah, more gear. Never ending it seems, but rope has become very important. When you're climbing, rope is important. It serves Many functions, but three that I thought of. First of all, the most obvious, if you fall, what is going to arrest your fall? What is going to save you? Well, we hope that rope, (laughs) that rope is going to save you if it's firmly attached. Also, that rope helps you balance and reach for that next hold that may be just out of your reach, gives you support in knowing that you can reach for that next hold on the rock. Also, it helps you accomplish your mission. Your mission is get to the top of the rock, to the top of the pitch, and so the rope helps you accomplish that that mission. Now, some of you over the last year may have heard or seen a movie 
named Free Solo. Anybody see that movie? Okay. This is a movie about a climber who became a little better known after this movie, Alex Honnell, who climbed El Capitan in Yosemite Valley sans rope. He had no rope. He had no safety equipment, just him, his climbing shoes, chalk bag, and the rock. Now, my wife and I discouraged the free solo experience <laughs> with our son quite uh, vehemently because we want that rope there to be that support, to be that safeguard. Rope is important. A good solid rope is important, which brings us to our verse today, Ecclesiastes 4.12. And I'm actually going to start in verse 9 of chapter 4 so we can get the full context. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and no one has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I want to explore this concept of a cord. The strands of a cord that bind together, that create that support that rope, if you will, for Seventh-day Adventist education. But first, before we begin that, I want to talk a little bit about what God says about us and His church. And to do that, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. You'll recognize these verses, most likely. The title, One Body with Many Members. Starting in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of the spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the body, whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he cho chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to that part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ 
and individually members of it. You know, I'm struck by the, the fad, I will say, of collaboration. It's interesting, it's been rediscovered maybe, again. If you look in educational literature, if you look in uh, industry literature, in the marketplace, collaboration is labeled as an indispensable 21st century skill. I think it's been around longer than that. <laughs> I think it's right here and it's been there right there all along. Collaboration and working together. Strand number one, and we honored them as they came up earlier and prayed over our teachers. But teachers, strand number one. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight says, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities, and tongues. Teachers. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Teaching. Or in James 3, verse 1, there's an admonition of the spiritual gift. James says in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, saying, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Don't despair, teachers, though, because in the next verse he talks about us stumbling and not being perfect. No, it's not about being perfect, but I know that our teachers are the lifeblood of our schools. Our teachers in our schools go in day after day sharing the love of Christ with their students. And sometimes that's not easy. And it looks different from day to day. But they're planting that seed over and over again because you never know when the Holy Spirit is going to show up in that student's life and speak to that student. There was a young man last school year who shared during our week of prayer our student-led week of prayer at the end of the school year at the academy. And he recalls the moment that he heard God's, heard God's voice in his life. And he shared his experience, which was one of brokenness. Well, we're all broken, aren't we? But he shared that he felt like he was not worth anything. And he shared that he was in a Bible class and the Bible teacher asked him, Mr. Perrin asked him to pick their favorite Bible verse and share it. And he says, in my mind, I thought this is stupid. He says, I don't have a favorite Bible verse. So what did he do? What did he do? He Googled it. <laughs> favorite Bible verse. And he came to a verse that said, you are God's handiwork. And you are wonderfully made in his image. He heard God's voice right then and there. You never know when that kid's going to hear the voice of God, but we keep planting the seed. God has called you to teaching. 
It's the reason why I can remember my teachers throughout my educational journey. I can remember Mr. Chapman at Riolindo Academy on my first day as a student at Riolindo and in his history class at one point, and I don't remember why, he ended up on top of his desk, standing there lecturing. I learned engagement and excitement about the work from Mr. Chapman. Or Mr. Calkins, who was our shop teacher. I have to admit, I'm not a very good shop student. I had a 1967 Volkswagen Beetle in auto body. And Mr. Calkins used to, and by the way, there is not one flat surface on that car. I, I, I trust me. He would come over and he'd run his hand over the fender and said, we're not happy with this yet, are we? I said, who's we? <laughs> he was a man of few words. In fact, we knew uh, at, at the academy, we would have, uh, every staff member would have a chapel ever, you know, during the year, spread out throughout the year. And we knew his chapel would be the same chapel every time, to a word. He was a man of few words, but he showed us what service was day after day. Or Mrs. Pride, who was our girl's dean, and um, Mrs. Pride, and, and she knows this, and I've told her this before, she's laughed at it, we could actually smell her coming before we saw her coming. She always had a wonderful perfume, smelled like flowers, but you knew where she was coming. She would envelop you in a bear hug every time she saw you, give you a hug. She showed us unconditional love and what that looked like. Or Mr. Bennett, who engaged us in the Bible and let us ask our questions and explored those with us. Mr. Bennett is somebody today, even today, that I will call and talk to from time to time when I have questions. And so many more along the way. And undoubtedly, as I talked about those teachers, you probably thought about teachers in your educational experience that touched your life, that guided you, that planted a seed in you. So thank you, teachers, for being a vital strand of keeping us on mission in our schools. Strand number two, parents. Our kids are watching us, aren't they? Sometimes painfully so. And this story I found, I think, illustrates that. It's entitled, She Ratted Me to the Cops. And it goes like this. I was driving my six-year-old daughter to school this year, and at one stop sign, I drifted through the intersection rather than coming to a full stop. It is well known here as a California stop. Apparently, such things had become a matter of course for this stop sign. A police cruiser had been lying in wait. I didn't get much farther than another block before the lights lit up the inside of my car. My daughter was sitting in the back and asked, what did you do, daddy? Note to self, must teach daughter concept of due process. Once pulled over, I rolled the windows down, turned the car off as the officer came to the passenger window. Noticing her in the back, he said, on your way to school drop-off? Before I could mount my vigorous defense regarding the roll-through, the prosecution threw a demoralizing curveball in the form of a surprise witness. 
Um, that's not the first time. My daddy got pulled over last week for doing the same thing. He's not very good at stopping, my daughter said. Before I could step in, the officer was already at her window. I don't remember the exact conversation, but it was a back and forth of, so he does this a lot, does he? And yes, he does. He never stops at stop signs, and so on. He instructed her to continue her vigilance and make sure that I never again missed one of those stop signs. I was released with a warning on the condition that I listened to my new backseat driver. (laughs) Our kids are listening to us, and sometimes it's hard for us to believe, but just this past year, the organization Barna did a, a study asking the question, basically, who is the greatest influence on your spiritual life? And these teens said overwhelmingly that their parents, moms, dads, grandparents as well, way to go moms, because you usually lead, you'll see here, held the greatest sway. And so they asked them, percentage of teens who say they are most likely to talk with this member of their household or extended household about questions about faith, Moms, look at you rock that up 90% there. Dads coming in second, grandparents right behind. The Bible, again, mothers and grandparents edging out the fathers there. They're coming to us and talking to us about these things. They're watching us when it comes to spiritual matters. Again, going on, encourages me to go to church. Moms, nearly 100% talks to me about God's forgiveness. Now, I I know it's hard to believe, and especially as a parent of now all teenagers in my household, my son, who I mentioned was a a junior at the academy, and my daughter, who's going to be an eighth grader, is an eighth grader, I should say, at Rogers Elementary this year. You know, sometimes you get the one-word answers. Now, I will embarrass my daughter and say she's a lot more chatty than my son, Because my son, it's, how was your day? Fine. How was school? Good. What'd you do today? I don't know. (laughs) I knew full well you did something today. But those one-word answers that they give us sometimes lead us astray and think that we're not having an impact. But parents, you are having an impact. You are having an impact. The Bible clearly gives us our marching orders here as parents. Of course, one of the best known passages, and Sheila shared it earlier, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Or Psalms 103, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Or Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. 
Parents, thank you for being a vital strand of that rope, of that cord that keeps us on mission. And finally, strand number three, the church. The third strand is you and me, our church. We play a vital role in making sure that Seventh-day Adventist education can succeed in its mission. The Bible tells us about many functions of the church. It says that when we come together in community, we are no longer strangers. We find home. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him who also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And not only are we strange, not only are we not strangers, but we are called his people. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as we come into this community of believers and this church home, we are called as people and we are called to build each other up. Thank you, Holly, for your children's story about talking about binding together, because that's what we're talking about this morning. We're called to build each other up. First Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And we are called to action. Of course, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that is where our church strand comes in. The final call defines the reason for our schools and the greatest hope for our kids in our schools, that they will make a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ, that they will create that relationship and nurture that relationship. We want every young person in our classrooms to experience the saving love of Jesus Christ. That is why Seventh-day Adventist education exists. Our mission at the Upper Columbia Conference is to equip and empower our ministries, our schools, with the Christ-centered Seventh-day Adventist message of hope and wholeness. And two pillars in that mission are to reach and retain our kids. Reach and retain our kids. My friend and our conference president, Minner Labrador, often likes to refer to the church as an airplane. And he talks about one of those wings of that airplane is education. And if we don't have that in good working order, we're not going to be able to soar to the heights that God has in mind for us. I don't have a magic solution for the future challenges that we will face in Seventh-day Adventist education. 
But I know that I want to be a part of the strand that God is using to educate our young people for the kingdom. And I know that God has called us in this book to collaborate with one another, to work together with each other in that endeavor. And I believe that if we work humbly together in this way, as we collaborate together, that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever imagine. Through God's grace and the power of the pouring out of his spirit, we can unleash a movement that will glorify God in our schools until he comes again to take us home. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus, thank you for this Sabbath. Thank you for the start of a new year. Thank you for our teachers, our parents, and our church. And may we press together to educate your kids for your kingdom. May your spirit be poured upon our campuses daily. And may we walk in the center of your will until your soon return. In your name. Amen.